Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's a football Friday. We've got the NFL wildcard playoffs are upon us this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. We'll break down the Bills and Texans and the Titans at the Patriots on Saturday. Then it's the Vikings at New Orleans and Seattle at Philadelphia in the NFC on Sunday. And we'll recap all the college football bowl action from New Year's Day. We've got all that and much more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, folks, uh, if you're like me, you're probably tired of paying these high electric bills. Even without my air conditioning running all the time this time of year, it's still over $200, and that's just too much money. So if you want to save 90 to 95% off your electric bill, listen to me now. May Electric Solar, that's right, they're a locally owned company, and May Electric Solar has the safest solar available. They don't use high voltage like many other companies. And May Electric Solar has a 25-year warranty on all their equipment and labor. Now, they've got a full showroom that's open weekdays so you can see their products and they've been around for about 12 years. May Electric has owned a great reputation with their customers and peers. There's a lot of companies out there imitating them, trying to use their great name. But remember, they don't use subcontractors, and they do not subcontract for any other company in any way. So everyone knows it has to be May all the way. Let's stop the insanity of these out-of-control electric bills and start saving now. Call the real May Electric at 727-819-2862. And Billy May and May Solar Electric would like to wish you and yours a very happy and healthy new year. With some really sad news that occurred on Thursday afternoon, Sam White, the former uh, Cincinnati Bengals and Tampa Bay Bucks coach, uh, passed away uh, of uh, metastatic melanoma. Of course, he had had a, uh, a heart transplant uh, about three or four years ago, I want to say. Yeah, September and, uh, of 2016. Yeah, just just seventy four years old. Died at his home. Um, you know, I guess it was uh, he had taken ill pretty quickly um, with this uh, this current disease. But um, you know, I covered Sam White uh, all the years that he was here in Tampa, and it was a difficult time for the Buccaneers. Uh, you know, they were owned by Hugh Culverhouse, uh, you know, the late uh, actual founder founding ownership of the Buccaneers, and you know, White got here in ninety two in Tampa. Uh, 91 was an, just an absolute disaster. You know, they went from Ray Perkins. They tried to hire Bill Parcells. He left him at the altar. They grabbed Richard Williamson uh, and made Floyd Peters the defensive coordinator. And, and Richard went on to a 3-13 and season. And so that didn't work out. Uh, and then they ended up, uh, you know, interviewing a lot, of, a lot of good coaches, man. They had Buddy Ryan in here. They had Mike Holmgren in here. They had, I think, Denny Green they may have talked to. A lot of those coaches were hired in '92, uh, and the Bucks ended up with uh, with Sam White, and um, he was a character of the game. You know, you, you knew him, uh, Steve. I'm sure from the Cincinnati days and the Bengals and some of his innovations with the the no huddles and the sugar huddles. And of course, mm-hmm. he made it to a Super Bowl. And uh, the irony was that uh, that was Joe Montana's big comeback, right, uh, in that Super Bowl where they were like forty something seconds away, uh, and White had been Montana's quarterbacks coach with the San Francisco 49ers worked under Bill Walsh and and certainly knew him very well and and uh there's some mic'd up versions of that Superboy's like you know looking at the clock going wow man just 40 he did it to us again um and and so 
you know, he, he accomplished a lot in his career uh, as a head coach. He was a really good human being. Like mm-hmm. when when he was hired, um, you know, by the Bucks, I went up to Cincinnati. And first of all, I was surprised. He said, yeah, come on up. I'll hang out with you for a day. I was like, really? So I went up there. He picked me up in his uh, in his truck. And he was known for, you know, they called him good neighbor Sam. He was known for all his charitable deeds, um, you know, and working with uh, really underprivileged neighborhoods and kids and families. Uh, and we drove through some of the uh, most difficult neighborhoods in Cincinnati that you can imagine. And he got out of his truck. These folks knew him, loved him. Um, you know, he found ways to, to uh, you know, help homelessness there in the city of Cincinnati and, um, you know, get people, you know, air conditioning and, and try to improve their lives any way he could. Um, and he, he, was a, he was a good guy, first and foremost. Um, had a lot of unfortunate things happen to him. But he'll probably be best remembered. I mean, his, his biggest contribution, and it's no small thing, the man drafted Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks in the same draft in 1995. And, and the way he did it, you know, I mean, Sapp was supposed to go one overall. There were some drug rumors. He fell. They traded down again, like twice, I think, in that draft. Um, they had a nice smoke screen going uh, with a guy that Philadelphia wound up taking. Um, and they wound up getting Warren Sapp for a bargain. And at the end of the first round, um, they got Derek Brooks, and those two guys, all they did was put on gold jackets and be first ballot Hall of Famers. Now, they weren't those players for Sam, unfortunately for him, um, because he was fired after the 95 season, and that was their rookie years. And they both played, but they didn't play you know, the way they would eventually play. Um, they were a little bit out of position on top of that. Um, and he also, you know, he was an organizational guy. I mean, he took Trent Dilfer when they didn't really want to, he didn't really want a quarterback, but he recognized that Dilfer had fell, fallen to number six and that he was a talent and that they probably needed him, but he, he preferred Craig Erickson. He preferred the quarterbacks he had and that he drafted him anyway. Um, and, and him and Dilfer ultimately were at odds with each other and it was ugly. The ending was extremely ugly. Um, you know, it was almost Nixonian talking to paintings there at the end. We were, um, we were held captive after a, a victory over Green Bay on a Sunday night, uh, listening to Sam kind of rant uh, right before Christmas. But uh, he wound up uh, he wound up getting fired, and and at that time, you know, Culverhouse wound up dying. the The team was thrown into a little bit of a turmoil because it was managed by uh, a bunch of trustees, the Culverhouse Trust, with Jack Donlin and Stephen Story, a lawyer, uh, law partner of Culverhouses, and Rich McKay. Uh, and Rich McKay was very instrumental in selling the team to the Glazers and then ultimately became the GM. And, and Sam had to sort of navigate all that, you know. And one season he started out 5-2 and two and, and uttered the famous, we're 5-2, quote, and then I don't think they won another game. <laughs> or they might have won just a couple more. Um, so he had his troubles here. He inherited Benny Testaverde, uh, Craig Erickson, and ultimately a, a very raw and um, – error-prone Trent Dilfer at the end. But we know all those guys went on to great things, you know, in their careers. And then um, in Trent's case, you know, he won a number of games here and then wound up winning a Super Bowl for the Ravens. So very sad uh, for Sam Weitz and his family. Jane, his wife, I knew his son a little bit. So um, they're going to miss him. And uh, he was a great broadcaster, too. Ended Mm -hmm. up uh, having something very unfortunate, uh, went in for surgery, and they, they nicked his vocal cords and ended his broadcasting career. Uh, a lot of people remember him as a broadcaster yeah. as well. Yeah, no, he used to do stuff uh, when I worked in Cincinnati, the radio station. He did lots of stuff for us. And in mm-hmm. Cincinnati, I mean, he's known for two things. One, he's been he was the coach of their last three playoff wins. 
which was right. two and eighty eight to get to the Super Bowl, and then the last one they had ninety one. So they haven't had a Super Bowl win since nineteen ninety one. So, yeah. um, but he's also the. It was in nineteen eighty nine. Um, the officials, the, the fans weren't exactly happy with uh, some of the calls in the game. They started throwing snowballs at the officials, and he of course hops mm-hmm. on the mic. And the famous words, well, the next person that sees anyone throw anything on the field, point them out and get them out of here. You don't live in Cleveland. You live in Cincinnati, <laughs> which is legendary in Cincinnati, of course. Yeah. And, and Weiss has always regretted those comments, but the fans love it. Well, he got in a lot of trouble, uh, too. Uh, and I think it was misguided a little bit or misinterpreted. But, you know, he didn't understand why women were going into a locker room with a bunch of naked men. Um, and, and it wasn't, you know, at the time it sounded, you know, chauvinistic and, and, and all sorts of things. Um, he really wasn't trying to um, say that they can't do a good job or don't deserve the same access. His whole thing, and I agree with him to this day, by the way, his whole thing was, really, can we not find a better way for our players to communicate with reporters, male or female, than to have them stand walking back and forth to showers after a game? You know what I mean? Like, can we not – we're a multi-million dollar industry. Can we not figure out how to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, but it just bothered him that, that these, these women reporters had to be subjected to that in some ways, and yet they were very much, hey, wait a minute, you know, we have every right to be in there as, as our male counterparts. And so um, that was also a thing with him. But, yeah, just a, just a colorful guy, um, I think a nice man, ultimately a good family man, and somebody that really cared about the community that he, that he worked in. And – um, he will be missed. Um, sad story. Sam Weich. Some sad news, and this has been, of course, a big story. I think we got to at least mention it, um, even though we don't talk a lot of NBA, and, and we probably should uh, as we get uh, further into the season here. But David Stern, of course, passed away the other day. Uh, he had been ill, I guess, since uh, middle of December or so. And a uh, longtime commissioner, I think over 30 years or around mm-hmm. 30 years, NBA commissioner, um, Probably, and, and you, you mentioned this to me, and I got to thinking about it, in, in our lifetime, in, in, in my lifetime, and probably yours, probably the the most successful, maybe most renowned, um, I don't know other superlatives to put on him, but what he did for the NBA during just during the time, the you know beginning back in the, um, the late 70s, early 80s, uh, to what it is today and growing the game and the sport internationally, unlike any other league that we're familiar with, unlike baseball even, and, and uh, certainly in the NFL, which has attempted to do that, um, just was, was a visionary in that sense. And, of course, financially, monetarily, everything, every other way, uh, you know, it, it took it from a league that was, frankly, in trouble um, to one that, uh, you know, that is, is just in, incredibly uh, successful and profitable. But... Um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know who to compare him with because, you know, during our time, of course, Pete Rozelle and then it was, you know, um, Paul Tagliabue mm-hmm. and, then, and then finally uh, Roger Goodell. But, but for what Stern did and you think some of the issues that they had to encounter uh, during that time, I, I, I can't think of a better commissioner. Well, and particularly, as you said, you know, I mean, that league was in trouble, you know, before, yeah. you know, Magic and Larry and then Jordan. But David Stern mm-hmm. helped usher that through and, and made it the success it is. Uh, particularly globally, as you said. Um, yes. You know, I, I think it's it, it's definitely grown domestically, too, and, and, you know, it was in trouble, but where it is today. But, yeah, what he I, – I can't think of a better commissioner in, in sports in my lifetime. Um, it's not to take anything right. away from what 
you know, Roselle and, and Tagliabue and them have done, and, and baseball's done some great things, and, and Gary Bettman's been very successful at hockey. I know he's not well-liked, but, you know, he's, yeah. done some, he's done some good things in how hockey has grown as a sport as well. But David Stern, to me, is the, the cream of the crop when it comes to that. And it's, you know, a shame that he had the brain hemorrhage a couple of weeks ago, and then he passed away on New yeah. Year's Day. Yeah, still in his 70s, very young. Um, you know, one of the things he did, it, it, you know, he always seemed to strike the right tone, uh, you know, from a social awareness standpoint. Um, and and I, I heard a podcast about this, uh, or some people were talking about it, at least on um, on radio one day um, in the last few days, is that you remember, of course, uh, uh, back when Magic Johnson uh, contracted the HIV virus, and there was no bigger story in sport probably in my lifetime, right? Because here was here was this superstar, right? And at that time, it was thought of as primarily, you know, disease that, that uh, you know, afflicted uh, homosexual men and women, and there was some transfusion, blood transfusion victims and things like this. But here was Magic Johnson, you know, at that time, you know, one of one of the uh, biggest stars in sports and, and, and known internationally. And, you know, he was HIV positive. We didn't know much about AIDS. I mean, people, you know, literally thought, hey, you could catch it with saliva or, you know, uh, what if what if somebody got scratched and they bled on the other person and that sort of thing. And um, because it had not developed into AIDS uh, and, you know, he allowed Magic Johnson to come back and play in the All-Star game in Orlando. And as Magic Johnson said, he gave me my life back. You know, he went on to play for the Dream Team in the Olympics and so on and so forth. And um, at a time when there was so much you know, misinformation and fear and homophobia and a lot of things that were occurring around that awful disease. Um, David Stern was, was way out in front of it. He really was. I mean, and, and, you know, yeah, the social issues too. That's one of the things the NBA has always kind of been on the forefront of. And I, I, think, I think it started so, yeah. with David Stern and, and, and the players too. And, and that's all part it's of it continued as well. with but, silver. Yeah. Yeah. Adam mm-hmm. Silver has continued that. And, um, it's something they're very cognizant of and not afraid to um, right. delve into, which some leagues, you know, kind of shy away from that stuff. Where the NBA has never done that. And you think about the international stars, the Dirk Nowitzkis, and and you know the Yao Ming's, and the people that we got to see as a result of growing the game, and and how that helped grow the game even further. Um, even the Dream Team's success, you know, allowing them to play in the Olympics, you know, because that was mm-hmm. never. Uh, the case, you know, before and, and, and what rock stars they became. They were like the Beatles, you know, over there. And, um, you know, of course, the dynasties. I mean, the, you mentioned Larry and Magic and all that and just uh, the marketing that, that surrounded those great teams and great series. So, yeah, um, big loss uh, for the NBA family, of course. And uh, everybody knew him, and he was interviewed a gazillion times and was a great a great interview on radio and television all the time. And, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a shame that uh, that he's gone. We've got uh, lots of football, of course, to talk about um, before we get to the uh, the postseason, the wild card uh, rounds uh, this weekend. Um, some news, of course, Ron Rivera, Riverboat Ron, that Bucks fans should be very familiar with, coached the Carolina Panthers all those years, took them to a Super Bowl uh, in which they lost to Denver, went 15-1 and one season. He has been hired or officially announced as hired uh, and introduced uh, by the Washington Redskins, and he will also bring Jack Del Rio, of course, a coach that uh, people are familiar with with the Raiders and the Jaguars, as his defensive coordinator. And, um, you know, I would have been – 
I'd have been a little leery of the Redskins job. I'll be honest with you. I don't think Daniel Snyder, to say the very least, is a good owner. I think he's really bottom of the barrel in many ways. They have stadium issues. They have a lot of things going on there. They've, they've, uh, they've been down for, for a while. He's one of the tough guys, I think, to work for. I've known people in PR that he's run through and run out of town. And um, it, it's, it's a, it, it can be a very toxic place, workplace, I think. And I'm not really speaking out of turn because I know these men and women. But um, the one thing they did, and I would imagine that Rivera might have, might have suggested this or maybe insisted on it, I really don't know, is Snyder got rid of his longtime friend and, and companion, really a guy that he vacationed, the, the wives and them vacationed together, uh, Bruce Allen, who used to be the GM here of the Bucks, um, and um, basically fired him, you know, told, told him you know, he, he was no longer president, he wasn't involved at all with the Washington Redskins. Um, so at least Rivera won't have uh, somebody you know, over him uh, right now, at least in, in football operations, so he can kind of have a – have a clean slate, but um, well, his press his press conference yesterday, he mentioned that Daniel Snyder took a long look, and because he mm-hmm. said, "Why did I choose Washington?" He said mm-hmm. Daniel Snyder looked at the successful organizations in the NFL, Patriots, the Seahawks, the Chiefs, and it was a coach first mentality. Yeah, that the coach had the power and, and was the face right. of the franchise and the voice, and that there was one voice, and it started with the coach. And he said and that's what Daniel mm-hmm. Snyder wants. And that's what he's willing to do now because he wants to be successful. He, is, he right. said he looked around everywhere, and that was what Daniel Snyder has concluded needs to happen. And if, if, if he lives up to that and gets out of the way and lets Rivera be that guy, I think it's a really good hire for the Redskins. Because I think he's the I type of coach they need. They need someone with the discipline. They need that grown-up in the room in that organization. Yes, Yes, that's a great way of putting it. That's what they lack. And, um, yeah, if Snyder will, will permit him to do that now – I, I don't know how Ron Rivera, the GM, or Ron Rivera, the head of football operations, is going to do. I really don't because he had Dave Gettleman. He's had you know he's had guys in the past mm-hmm. that have procured some pretty good talent for him. And I will say this: I don't think there's many coaches in the league that can do it. Um, it's great to have one voice and and really the biggest uh, you know the biggest face of your franchise is your head coach. Um, but you would hope that you could work with a GM or work with, the, uh, you know, uh, scouts and, and all that. It's just such a big job to be a head coach that I, I don't know how deeply involved you can be in personnel until you get really well after the season anyway. But, um, you know, that said, I get it. And, I'm, and I think in this instance in particular, because I have, and I make no secret of this, I have less than any respect for Bruce Allen, <laughs> As a uh, as a personnel guy, as a as an executive, and I I don't I don't apologize for that. I I work very closely and watch very closely. Him and John Gruden try to work together, um, and and I think in many ways I think John may have continued being the coach of the Bucks if he had made a better choice uh, after Rich McKay left than Bruce Allen. I don't think Bruce was good for the organization. I don't think he was good for John. He certainly wasn't good for the Washington Redskins, um, and so. You know, I think the organization will be better off without him. Um, but Ron Rivera knows what it looks like, and he knows how to do it. And he sets a tone, too, for the entire franchise. I mean, he has a certain humanity about him, which I think is good, and a relatability to players. Um, even I saw where Gerald McCoy tweeted something, you know, in rever- reference or reverence towards uh, towards Ron about, you know, the Washington players don't know just how blessed they're about to become, you know, um, playing under Ron Rivera. So, I think he's going to do great. I think Jack Del Rio is a terrific coach, former head coach, really good defensive coordinator. From what I understand, he's been grinding 
watching tape and um, and doing a lot of things while he was broadcasting for ESPN. Um, and and so uh, we'll see what kind of staff they can hire. They're the first staff, so they should have really good options in terms of you know uh, getting you know filling out the rest of it. So yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting pairing, uh, the Washington Redskins. I don't know, you know, I'm not sold on their quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. I'm not sold on a lot of. A lot of pieces that they have there, but we saw what the NFC East is the last couple year, mm-hmm. last couple of years. It's not not been good, so it wouldn't take much improvement, you know, to get to ten wins and maybe win the thing. If Dallas is going to meander around five hundred and Philadelphia will you know struggle to win the division um, this year, so he's in a good place. And and I thought maybe he'd go to the Giants, but obviously Washington, uh, who fired Jay Gruden a long time ago, was able to to get to him first. And I think it's a really good hire. So now we'll see if Daniel Snyder can stay out of the way. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All right, so as promised, it is a football Friday, and we've got uh, lots of football, of course, over the weekend in the NFL. Uh, this is a good time of year. This is a good weekend. Wild card weekend, I think, is interesting for a lot of reasons. Are you ready to crown um, a Super Bowl champion this weekend? That's <laughs> yeah, what well, we do what every year. Every year, someone yeah, someone comes absolutely. to wild card weekend, we say, they're the Super Bowl champ. Mm-hmm. You, boy, you'll hear this. Boy, you don't want to play that team. Man, oh, what a buzzsaw they are. I'd be nervous if I were blank. And, and, and the fact of the matter is is that the team's not playing, you forget. There's a reason they're not playing. It's because they're better. They're way better. And so the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs and you know all the teams that are sitting home this weekend uh, resting up. Oh, by the way, they're getting healthier as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They, they actually get to mend up, which is a huge thing this time of year. It's one thing if this happens, you know, in a bye week or, you know, middle of the middle of the year. When you get into January, trust me, these guys haven't had pads on during practice for about five or six weeks, and they're all busted up, every one of them. And you have a chance to rest up and have fresh the fresher legs, um, you know, come a week from now. Um, you're right. It, I mean, there could be some upsets, and we've seen – you know, the New York Giants, you know, as a six seed roll mm-hmm. through and end up take toppling the 17 and one Patriots and that sort of thing or 17 and 0 Patriots. But um, it's rare. It's rare. And, and uh, the better teams are sitting home. That now, said, I, I will say in the NFC, though, you've got two really good yes, teams that are playing. That's right. That's that's exactly where I was going to go. The NFC is so loaded this year in that you needed to win 12 games just about, um, you know, to win almost any division. And uh, so for that reason, you know. Um, and we'll get into the Sunday games. I mean, you have teams like New Orleans, obviously. Um, you know that's that's going to be end up playing on a wild card, a Seattle. wild card weekend. Seattle's in Seattle, playing. right? And, and the Vikings are really yeah. good too. I mean, there's five yeah, teams not in bad. the NFC that are really good. Yeah, they're not bad at all. So, yeah, that's that's going to be something. But let's start with uh, the Saturday games, and I guess the first one is the Bills at the Texans. Let me say this about the Texans. I was way less than impressed mm-hmm. with their overall team when I saw the Bucks, uh, you know, literally throw a game away against them in a twenty-three to twenty game. That uh, it, it just didn't have the feel 
uh, of a of a playoff team. And I I think although they found a way to win, and that's that's the main thing, right? Um, but the AFC, you know, the AFC South that they're in, not not necessarily the best division in football, at least this year. Um, they had a couple teams, of course, make the playoffs out of the AFC in that division with the Tennessee Titans, who actually, for my money, might even be a little bit better. Um, but Deshaun Watson is still worth the price of a ticket, right? I mean, he is mm-hmm. he's an outstanding, dynamic quarterback who can absolutely make plays, and he has a clutch gene. Even that game against the Bucs, I don't know if you remember this, but it was getting really tight before, before Jameis threw it away. Um, and he hit one throw. And that's all it took. It was a one deep ball, about a 40, 49 yard or something like that, um, that absolutely you know set them up and got them out of trouble. And, and they wound up winning the game 23-20. And that's what I mean. Like he delivers at the most, you know, most important times. The one thing, they, they, you know, the defense is what's been incredibly unimpressive. Like they're just not, they're not really good. Um, but I will say this, that uh, J.J. Watt is coming back. Uh, you know, the guy, he tore his pec. He's missed uh, a ton of time. Um, he practiced the other day, said he felt felt extraordinarily good. Uh, and, you know, to get him, especially against the run, because for whatever reason, and he might be a big part of it, uh, you know, Houston had been giving up about 150 yards a game on the ground. Uh, and when you think about the Buffalo Bills, they know how to run the football. Josh Allen can run the football himself if need be. So, look, Bill O'Brien knows how to get to the playoffs, but at some point, come on, Texans, you have to win a game, don't you? You're going to have to advance at some point for me to ever believe in you. Yeah, yes, I agree. But and they're also look, the Buffalo Bills defense is legit. It's and real it's, good. It's going to be you know I, you question what I mean. Houston's defense isn't great. They do, are getting JJ Watt back. How much points can Buffalo put up? But we know that right. they can stop Houston and they can hold them. Yes. To few points, so it's going to be it's going to be one of those you know low scoring, mm-hmm. uh, you know, contests where it, it's going to be you know who makes a mistake to lose it, who has the ball last, and who yeah who can drive their team or who makes the big turnover at the end of game, and, and I like I like for that reason I like Watson in that situation, but Josh Allen has proven to be pretty clutch too, um, but but you know somebody's going to make the big mistake and somebody's going to drive their team down late. So I'm with you. I think it's going to be a low scoring game, but I want to I want to see the Texans show me um, more than I saw against Tampa Bay and 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 more than I've seen in the playoffs when they've gotten there before. The interesting game, and I'll go ahead and call it now. The Tennessee Titans are going to beat the New England Patriots. It's the first time the Patriots are playing on wild card weekend, I think, in ten years or something like that. And that's something, yeah. You know, I mean, when you when you look at their dominance of you know the last twenty years in football, a lot of it is because they always get the bye. That's right. That has helped them tremendously to get to the Super Bowl. Not having that, third you win week of one game. Yeah, yeah, you win one game, and you're in the AFC Championship. And and the years that they've made it to the Super Bowl, that game was in was in New England. So they were the they were the top seed, right? They got to, or, or they knocked off somebody, um, or somebody got knocked off. The top seed got knocked off. But at any rate, the AFC Championship game when they've gotten to the Super Bowl have has run through New England. It will not do that this time. I mean, they basically have what amounts to a revenge tour. You know, if they're able, um, you know, to get by Tennessee, which which beat them already this year, mm-hmm. then they got to go play Kansas City, which has beaten them in the past, and then they got to, um, you know, play Baltimore, mm-hmm. um, and and that's another team. So, uh, you know, it, it's going to be the hardest road uh, that that they have had. I just think, and and it sort of played out this way in the past, but 
I think the the coaches that come in and, 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 and you know, after they've left New England, it doesn't matter who it is, Matt Patricia won. Um, when they play New England, they, they seem to have a little bit of advantage because they know the entire team. They know what the Patriots are about, whereas, you know, New England may be familiar with, with the coach or some of the schemes, but they don't know the personnel quite as good um, as some of these former coaches that Belichick has. And that's why I think Mike Vrabel might have a uh, a real good edge, you know, sort of sort of in this one. And he might, but the fact that they played earlier this year, I think, gives Bill Belichick yeah. a little bit of advantage because he is true. He is, you know, is the best and that I can remember as far as picking apart tape and finding weaknesses and and making adjustments. Um, that's one of the things the Patriots do very well from game to game and. And, and season to season, but but if you've played them earlier in the season, that gives them a whole game tape to figure out a different way to attack you or different weaknesses, et cetera. Um, so it's going to be interesting how you know what adjustments Mike Vrabel makes in that regard too. True, and they, I mean they got to stop Derrick Henry. I mean that's job one, right? And Ryan Tannehill has been very very good with the play action, and mm-hmm. he's got some receivers that are making plays for him. So um, th- what 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 the Patriots can't do is score. I mean, what wow. they've really struck. Look, it, Tom Brady has been on the injury report. He's listening to according to my sources, Adam Schefter was on ESPN talking about this very thing. He was talking about how Brady has been on the injury report for whatever reason, uh, and they used to just put him on there, I think, for giggles, but with an elbow injury or an el- you know elbow every week, elbow, elbow. And if you watch him, of course, he struggled because he just doesn't have any damn receivers that can get separation for the most part. Um, but think about this about Tom Brady. And we've said this in the past, but but it's kind of adding up now that this could well be, and, and it's been predicted before, I get it, but this could well be the last game that Tom Brady plays for the New England Patriots. And 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 if that's it, then you know Belichick will have to start over at some point with a new quarterback. If 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 in fact Belichick's going to continue coaching, very interesting year for the Patriots and not the path that they generally take to the Super Bowl, though. You know, are you really going to doubt the goat in these situations? Um, you know, it'd be hard. Remember, to do, we were I mean. ready to crown them Super Bowl champs halfway through the season. I know. Of course, they hadn't played anybody at that point, but the defense looked really good because they hadn't played anybody. And that's that's but one of the interesting parts with the Bills and the Patriots this year is they the their schedule they played the weakest divisions, and so right. they haven't played a lot of really good teams. Neither one of them. That's just you know mm-hmm. how the schedule worked out for the AFC East this year. So it's going to be interesting how they do in the playoffs. I mean, two of his, he's got three only three things he can do, right? He can go back to New England, and they're not going to mm-hmm. franchise him, obviously, so that would require a new contract. Um, he can retire, or he can go to another team. And two of those mean he means he's not there, right? So consider um, there's going to be a day where we're going to watch his last game with the New England Patriots, whether he walks away or goes to someplace else, and this this very well could be yeah. it. Or he could win this weekend. He'll have one more game, <laughs> and then that could be it. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll just we'll just keep moving the timetable back. But uh, sooner than later, uh, at his age, he's uh, he's going to be done uh, with his time in New England. So that's really something to think about when you consider all that uh, all that he's meant meant to football. All right. Then on Sunday, we've got of course the Minnesota Vikings visiting New Orleans. Uh, in that wild card game, New Orleans Saints, of course, third time in a row they've been the NFC South champions. If you remember uh, when the season began, of course, in week two, Drew Brees tore the ligaments in his thumb. Teddy Bridgewater comes in, he goes five and zero, oh, and uh, then Brees comes back and you know sets all kinds of records. And here they are again after really two horrific 
finishes to their postseason. What was it, the Minnesota Miracle two years ago? And then, of course, uh, last year with the non-called and the no-call on the pass interference, um, you know, which kept them uh, kept them from from advancing on to a Super Bowl. So uh, this will be uh, this will be a good game. I, I mean, I like this matchup, except I think Minnesota has no chance. And when I say no chance, I mean I know they're in the game, but I don't think there is a chance because um, you know we, we we first of all we don't know you know exactly you know who's going to be available for the Vikings. They're not playing well of late. I mean they just. They, they've really not impressed me at all. Uh, their defense has not been what it once was earlier in the season, although they're capable. Uh, and without Dalvin Cook, I don't know if he plays, how effective he will be. Um, you know, and, and the biggest thing, I'm sorry, you know, Kirk Cousins to me in a big game um, against a, a team with a winning record on the road, uh, I just don't have – you know, it's a confidence pick, right? You go coach, coach quarterback in these, some of these games, especially in the postseason – and, you know, Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins, you know, against Sean Payton and Drew Brees, I'm taking Brees and, and Sean Payton every time and, and twice on this day, on this Sunday, um, simply because I, I think, you know, that that building's going to be alive, uh, you know, even though they have to play the extra round and extra game. I mean, Michael Thomas has been a beast. Alvin Kamara is starting to play better. And, and, of course, I think that defense has been pretty much underrated all year. I still think they're very capable. So I don't think the Vikings are going to be able to score enough points. I, I just think that New Orleans is, is, is going to win this game, and I think they're going to win it without much stress, to be honest with you. Well, the good thing for the Vikings is that this game is played on Sunday afternoon, not Monday night, because we know Kirk Cousins never won on Monday night. <laughs> That's but, right. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I agree with your, your big game scenario with you know Kirk Cousins and, and – I don't think they're the, the exact same quarterback, but it's that Andy Dalton scenario where every time it's a big game, he can't. The, the Bengals have failed that's in that right. regard. Kirk Cousins, that's kind of what his career has been. He does very well in your average Sunday one hundred five games or one o'clock games, which this game actually is at that time. But it is the playoffs, so um, I, it's hard to go against the Saints at home, um, particularly the way the Vikings have played of late. So, all right. Finally, on Sunday, Seattle, of course, by virtue of their what one inch shy of the goal line loss to the San Francisco Forty ers last week, uh, they get to go to uh, sunny Philadelphia and travel across the country and play the Eagles. Which you know, the Eagles have been on a little bit of a roll for them, but in the a- NFC East, that's not saying much. Um, I think Seattle's a better football team, and you know, and yet uh, I'd, I've never had a ton of confidence in their defense because I watched the Bucks, you know put up like 40 points against them. Um, so I, I still am, am leery of, uh, of, of exactly, you know, h- how Seattle can get a lot of separation in this game. Philadelphia has never impressed back. me offensively. Beast mode is back. Beast mode's back. But, but he didn't, you know, first of all, that's an unbelievable story, right? I mean, the guy, how does he just show up one day and he's running the football and goal line short yardage situations? And had they not had a delay a game penalty, it would have almost been like the identical, you know, flashback to the Super Bowl uh, when uh, when they're on the goal line, so they had to take him back off the field. But um, it's been um, it's been fun. To, I mean, Russell Wilson, to me, is still uh, one of the elite quarterbacks in the league, and I still think that he has a, a, a chance to advance in this game. I'm not going to rule out Pete Carroll and those guys, but Philly, Philly's a tough place to play. We all know that, uh, you know, it, they're a passionate fan base, and it's going to be loud, and it's going to be – um, you know, there's going to be a momentum on that side, but they'll also turn on their team if things don't go well. So, I I kind of like Seattle in this game, but I I, you know, I mean they took they took the best team in the NFC to within a yard of the goal line. 
um, and you know, and they've beaten them earlier this year. So the NFC to me is pretty strong. This is one of the stronger teams. I'm going to go with Seattle on the road to beat Philadelphia. We've heard so much about Carson Wentz and, and what a good quarterback he is, but we all know he's injury prone. This is his first playoff game, and he's got to go up. He's got to host Seattle on an average Philly team, and he's hosting Seattle, who you know was had a shot at the number one seed going into the final week of the season. They end up being a wild card team because the, uh, San Francisco took the number one seed home. But he's got to face Seattle in his first playoff game at home. That's that's a tough calling. I mean, going against Russell Wilson and that team. Now, granted, I don't think Seattle's defense is, is as spectacular as we've remembered it in years past, so he, he may have some opportunities to perform. But it's really interesting that we're seeing him in the playoffs for the first time now. It's going to be interesting how yeah. he fares. Yeah, I, I look. I think he's a baller. I mean, I think he's going to mm-hmm. show up in the big moments. I, I don't trust his supporting cast all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he has to do a lot on of his own, uh, both both with his leg and his arms. But he's proven he can win important games down the stretch, and that's how Philadelphia got in this thing. I mean, of course, them and Dallas were neck and neck, sort of you know mired in me- mediocrity, and that's that's kind of how they finished, right? But at least uh, Philadelphia did what they had to do to win the division, and they get the home game against a better football team, and that's just the way it goes. They don't reseed in the playoffs. Um, you know, Seattle has a much better record, but um, they've got to travel cross-country, and that's definitely a factor. You're not sleeping in your own bed. I don't care what you say. Being at home in the postseason, I think, is a big deal. All right, before we go with the football uh, theme here, let's uh, look back just a little bit to New Year's Day. Um, I'll tell you what I was impressed with on New Year's Day. Minnesota, and especially my boy, P.J. Fleck. The job he has done there, winning 11 games um, you know, for the Golden Gophers, this, this, this team will be looked upon for years, if not ever, uh, as just having a magical season and making Minnesota football relevant for the first time in like 100 years. Uh, look, Auburn's a really good football team, and they mm-hmm. lost to a bunch of ranked opponents, um, and, but yet beat, you know, beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl. Um, and they, beat they've got a beat bunch, Oregon too. Beat, beat Oregon too at the beginning of the year, and they've got a bunch of NFL players on the defensive line. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, PJ lost his offensive coordinator to Penn State before the bowl game. He had a lot of adversity that they had to had to fight through. But those fans showed up in big numbers, and they were all in their colors at the Outback Bowl, and they were rowing the boat. You could hear them, you know, talking about row the boat and and all that stuff. And there was, a, of course, a ship. Uh, in uh, in Raymond James Stadium, but um, it was it was an entertaining game. It was back and forth, a lot of lead changes, big plays, and uh, was happy for for PJ to uh, uh, to win that game because I know him, of course, as the Bucks receivers coach that one year under Greg Schiano, and a lot of people thought he was going to be a superstar, and he's a rock star right now. Now he does it in in what people think is kind of a you know sloganish way and, and and a little rah-rah and all that you know you know surfing in the locker room body surfing in the locker room after games but i'm here to tell you that college football is an emotional football in general but college football is is all about emotion and channeling that emotion in a positive way and pj fleck has the energy and he matches you know the energy of his young players and they relate to him and i i think those guys are successful um, many more often than not, you know, if you can if you can match that with with you know sound football um, expertise and help guys get better, and he's very much that. He was always um, a technician, and you know, took guys like um, Vincent Jackson, who was as old as as PJ was at the time, and um, you know, helped him even at that point in his career become a Pro Bowl player again, and um, had some of his best years. So, um, was happy for PJ Fleck. 
I would say um, the team I, I thought just completely did not show up uh, was Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. Was disappointed in the Badgers. They, they lost a bunch by of a turnovers. point. They lost by a point. I know. I understand. But if you don't watch the game, I'm telling you, Steve, they they made so many mistakes. And Oregon did too. I mean, mm-hmm. Oregon allowed a you know kickoff return for a touchdown. And um, but they just made so many mistakes. And 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 look, Oregon's probably a better team. I guess. Um, I, I haven't been very. You know, Wisconsin is exactly what they're up and down. You just don't know what mm-hmm. you're going to get from them week to week. Um, but uh, but I credit Oregon. It was it's a great story. Um, that Justin Herbert would 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 you know who was born and raised uh, an Oregon fan. His brother plays with him. I mean, he's he you know this this is good. This was probably or most likely by all accounts his last game uh, there at Oregon. That he took them from the mess that they were when he started at Oregon. Um, I think they won five games one year or something like that to um, to the Pac you know Pac twelve champs and a Rose Bowl victory, which is still. A revered title um, after all these years. If you grow up on the West Coast and know anything about the Rose Bowl and some of the legendary players that have played there in the venue and all of that, um, and he and he had a great performance. I mean, he ended up with three rushing touchdowns. But there's something about him, Steve, and I, I can't put my finger on it. I don't think he's going to be a great pro. I don't know why. I, I mean, I just didn't see him throw the ball with enough precision and accuracy. Um, saw him make a lot of plays. Saw him make a lot of big plays. Even even when Wisconsin needed the ball back, he they, you know they didn't they didn't turtle. They put the ball in his hands, and um, he made you know big throws for conversions and things like that. But I I just I I don't know what it is about about Herbert that doesn't excite me. And I know he's going to be a first round pick in the draft. Yeah, I mean you know it was surprising he came back this year. I mean he was supposed to go yeah. out last season and, and be a top a first round draft pick. So. Um, I, yeah. I still think the scouts will tell you he's got all the skills to be a pro quarterback, and he which does. is why he'll be taking in the first round. And I, I think a lot mm-hmm. with him is going to depend on where he goes and what the True. situation is from coaching to the weapons around him and, and whether he has to play right away. I think he would benefit going somewhere yes. where you can sit for the first year or two or you know be a backup, not come in and expect it to be the starter. I would agree. And, and you know, if he is pushed down, and of course, most of these guys get pushed up, but if he is pushed down, he'll go to a better football team. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the, the guy you worry about is Joe Burrow. <laughs> He's got to go to <laughs> Bengals. I mean, you know, I mean, seriously, the, you yeah. know, that's what happens to these guys. They go to the worst teams in the NFL, to some degree, even Jameis, but, mm-hmm. you know, you go to these terrible teams and you just get obliterated. You know, you, you, your team is, is looking at you to take them out of the wilderness and there's nothing around you. And, uh, you know, before you know it, you can really shake a quarterback's confidence that way by getting them hit a lot, by uh, losing a lot and, you know, having to bear the responsibility of that. And it, it can be a real a real tough transition. And, and I, I think Joe Burrow's as good a college quarterback as I've seen in years, especially with the year he's had. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's unfortunate. It's just uh, – uh, I, I just wasn't – I don't know why I wasn't impressed by him. And I probably should have been. I know like Colin Coward thinks he's great. And, you know, all these guys that are big on, on, on uh, sort of like, uh, uh, you know, predicting which, which quarterback is going to be good in the pros. And um, I'm, just, I'm just not very good at it. But, uh, and, then, and then, of course, the, uh, the Sugar Bowl was underwhelming. I mean, Baylor – just really didn't show up. They didn't compete very well against Georgia. Well, it just shows you Georgia had so many guys sitting out, for, whether for injury mm-hmm. or getting ready for the draft, and yet you know, they still controlled every aspect of that game, and it was never in doubt. I mean, Georgia dominated that game. And it just it shows you some of the, the talent gap between the SEC and the Big 12. 
Right. No, it does. And I, I think that that's always going to be the case. I mean, I don't know what it is about the Big 12 until Texas becomes relevant and starts pushing, you know, rising the tide a little bit in that conference. It's Oklahoma and everybody else. And everybody else just isn't very good, um, especially defensively. And, and the SEC teams, I think, did pretty well during bowl season. They typically do. Um, what happened to your Michigan Wolverines? I, 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 they were in that game against Alabama, but then uh, I saw the, the Crimson Tide pulled away. Uh, they played very well. Uh, actually, I was impressed with how well Michigan played. Shea Patterson, on the other hand, did not. Um, if he could throw the deep ball at all, they win that game. He missed mm-hmm. so many guys wide open down the field. Could not get them the ball. Throwing bullet passes when you need to lob it up and let the guy run under it. And you're overthrowing him by 10 yards. I mean, um, I thought Michigan as a whole, I thought their offensive line was getting, I mean, they were running the ball very well against Alabama. I did not expect to see that. Um, you know, I expected Alabama to, to win that game and, and pretty handily. Um, I was really impressed with the way Michigan played, except for their quarterback. And if they had a quarterback, they, they could have won that game against Bama. Because uh, I, I don't know, you know, even reading the body language in some of the first half, I, I think Alabama came out with a fire in the second half, but the first half it was kind of going mm-hmm. through the motions for some of their guys, I think. You know, I right. think it was kind of that, I don't know if we really wanted to be here. And that's the thing about bowl games, and mm-hmm. I say this to people all the time: like you're trying to handicap bowl games, right? Like mm-hmm. even and look, I'm not. I really do not want to take anything away from PJ Fleck or Minnesota, and I really and, and you know even Gus Malzahn said it said, look, we played hard, we did mm-hmm. everything we could. They had a better day. They 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 have a good football team. They outplayed us. They outcoached us, and I think that was very gracious of Malzahn to say that. However. I think human nature is what it is, that mm-hmm. there are certain teams and programs, and especially in Alabama, which took care of business, but um, there are programs that if, if you know, Utah, I think, fell victim of that. Utah's a much better football team than what they showed. Utah thought they uh, were going losing, to the playoff. Yeah, losing to Texas. I mean, they, yeah. they lost to Oregon in the last day of the season, you know, lost the Pac-12 championship, and they went from being a, you know, a national, one of the top four teams in the national um, championship series to, you know, playing Texas that they cared nothing about being there and, and played like it. So it's very difficult because I think mm-hmm. motivation is the biggest thing in bowl games, not so much you know mm-hmm. what the teams did during the regular season. Yeah, how motivated were you during that three weeks of practice to really to go yeah. at it and, and prepare? And, and, and it's human nature. And it's, you know, look, these games at the end of the day don't matter that much. I mean, the playoff obviously does. But, you know, the goal of the season was to win the conference, go to the playoff, win the national title. If you're not in that mm-hmm. tournament, the four team tournament, is there, you know, and it's not every player, and it's not that the players aren't trying, but it's that, did you really give it your all for three weeks in, in preparation right. for it? Or did you go through the motions a few times? And, mm-hmm. you know, I think for a program like Minnesota, and granted, you know, they're probably their players were fully motivated. They were going up against Auburn in, in the Outback Bowl, and this is a chance to propel us for next season and, and keep this program moving forward. So there was a lot of momentum, and they may have had a little more pep in their step for the you know the prep leading up to the bowl games, and that happens in bowl games. That's why I don't put a ton of stock in you know when, when people start going, you know, well, the SEC did this in the bowl games, or the Big 12, or Big 10, or because every game is different in, in, in the motivation, and some of the coaching changes, too, affect things, too. Your assistants may be gone, you may have an interim coach. There's all kinds of things that go into bowl games. So they're fun to watch. I enjoy them, but I don't put a ton of stock in judging a season on them. 
All right, so a uh, very exciting football uh, weekend, of course, with the NFL playoffs, and so we'll have all of that next week. Uh, the Lightning have a doubleheader, or back-to-back, actually, I should say, uh, this weekend in Ottawa and at Carolina, so some important uh, games on the road for them to take care of. And, folks, remember now, even though you're maybe not using your AC, guess what? You're going to be popping on the heater on and off all week and all month long. So here's what you want to do. If your electric bill is over $200 like mine, call my friends at May Electric Solar. They're a locally-owned company. Uh, they can help you save up to 90% on your electric bill. And let's uh, let's stop the out-of-control out electric bills and start saving now. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862, and uh, they'll hook you up. And, and I'm telling you, you're going to be happy with these folks. They're going to save you a lot of money. It'll pay for itself in the long run. Call May Electric Solar. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. 